Amen. Can we give it up for Tommy real quick? Tommy, I think the key of that last song was perfect. I tried to, I tried to join you in falsetto, and I saw Nathaniel over there flinch and like look at me weird, so I apologize, Nathaniel. Hey, can we get up for, uh, for Angie? Wasn't that awesome? When I heard the Reese Witherspoon Southern drawl start to come out, I was like, all right, here we go. Generational curses are about to be broken. The darkness is going to push back. And I don't know how I can follow that up. But appreciate you guys joining us here tonight as we close things out at Summer Nights. I want to start things off with a little bit of participation and participation that requires some honesty. You guys on board? All right. All right. I like how you agreed to it before I told you what it was. All right, so I want you to raise your hand if you have been in and won multiple fist fights. All right. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up. There's about 10 of you. And, and Kate, I'm a little surprised by that one, but. <laughs> there you go, there you go. All right, so. Keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Raise your hand if you've been in several fist fights. All right, so a couple honest folks. <laughs> Clearly didn't win those fist fights, it's okay. All right, keep them up, keep them up. Now raise your hand if you've been in a fight on the internet. All right, we're, we're getting up there, we're getting up there. Keep them up, keep them up. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been in a fight with family or friend. All right. Help me out. I think that's everyone, right? I think that's everyone. If not, raise your hand if you've been in a fight with a stranger. All right, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. All right. There's a couple more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a couple more. Raise your hand if you've ever been in a fight with yourself. All right. All right. Look around real quick. Look around real quick. We've all been in a fight, all right? Common ground right here, we're all similar, all right? You can put them down, you can put them down. So that's what I wanna talk about tonight, is division. And so we are all on this common ground, we're all coming from the same place, we all admit we have been there. And so for me, I'm not, I'm not a big fist fighter. Um, my, I'm not a very aggressive person, but I am a very passive aggressive person. And so, if you, if you cut me off in traffic, I won't give you the bird, but I might just follow you and write you a strongly worded letter and put it on the dash of your car when you go away. That's, that's my passive aggression at work there. But I did, so the closest I've ever gotten to a fist fight, I remember I was 12 years old, okay? And it was a fight that I had with my younger brother. We were getting into it over something, some sort of argument, I don't even remember. And so we just reached a point where we were so heated, we were so emotional, that we just needed to fight it out. But we were pansies, and we didn't want to fist fight, so we look around in our room for what could be the weapon that we fight with. And what we settled on was a box of 100-count plaque Sharpies. And so for the next 10, 15 minutes, we just fought with Sharpies. We, we stabbed each other, we threw them at each other, we poked and prodded each other just with Sharpies. And about 10 to 15 minutes later, we stop 
emotions come down, we look around and realize the room's covered in Sharpie, we're covered in Sharpies, we just look ridiculous. And when the emotions came down and when, when the anger settled and we finally came to our senses, we realized this is silly. And we had forgotten what we were fighting about. And I think we often find ourselves in that very same situation in life. When we step back, when we remove ourselves from situations, we realize this is silly. I want you to look at what's going on with our country right now, how divided, how polarized we are. You turn on the cable news, you turn on social media, and you just see fighting and bickering and division and hate. And talking about important issues, yes, all sorts of I mean, what's going on right now? Gun rights, inflation, abortion, all important issues, but there's not healthy discord and discussion around it. It's all fighting and division. But there is hope because NBC News recently did a study that I found that found one thing that we are united about. They polled Americans and they found the majority of Americans are united around one thing, one common idea it found that we're united around the idea that we're all divided. <laughs> and it's true, right? And a lot of times I think we can look back at those situations that we've gotten in, and even as a nation, we'll one day look back and just say, this is silly. I mean, we even see it within the church. There's division within the church. There's theological differences. There's denominational differences. There's, there was a lot of division around the pandemic, what to do then. And so I think a lot of times people will leave the church or a church will separate over division. Now disagreement's healthy. There can be disagreement. We all come from diverse backgrounds. We all have different convictions and belief and life perspectives that we take into situations. But when those things that we disagree with become the ultimate thing, when they become a toxic thing, that's what can lead to division. And I think a lot of times we'll look back at the divided church and say, this is silly. The watching world may even look at us Christians and say, they are silly because they are so divided. But we don't have to stay there. And Jesus has painted a new picture for us. He has paved a new way, and that is the way to unity. And unity isn't this squishy sentiment or an optional add-on, but what we'll find out here in Scripture is that it's something in which Jesus prayed for, he bled for, and he died for. And he longs for each and every one of us to pursue unity. So we're going to pick things up in John chapter 17. And John 17 is divided into three parts. It's, it's all part of Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. The first part is that Jesus prayed to be glorified. And so that's what Nico talked about last week. It's how he kicked things off. He talked about Jesus as the way to knowing God, and that knowing God is more than just an idea or a set of values or a set of beliefs. It's what Angie was talking about. It's a personal intimate relationship with your Heavenly Father. And God longs to have a relationship with us and longs for us to know Him. And that is made possible by Jesus. 
The next part of his prayer is a prayer for Jesus' disciples. He realizes what they're about to step into, that he's about to go away, and that they're about to go into a very hostile world, and that they need boldness and courage and the Spirit of God in order to spread his message of love, peace, and hope. And then he closes for a prayer for all believers, and this is where we're picking up. This is a prayer for me and for you, and if you're not a believer here tonight, then that's great. We accept you where you are. We're glad you're here, and I just want to invite you to listen in. We want to create a space of welcoming, a space where you can learn about Jesus, and if you're here tonight just kicking out the tires, checking things out, we're glad you're here. So this is a prayer for unity among believers, and there are three elements of unity I want to unpack. So we start in verse 22. Verse 22 reads, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. First time I read that, and probably the tenth time I read that, I was very confused. There's a lot of I, you, me, we, they. It's a very challenging puzzle to put together. And so what do I do when I don't understand the NIV? I turn to the NLT. And so that was the NLT, and so I didn't even understand that. So when that happens, I turn to the message. And I think, I think the message paints it in a good picture. It says this. The goal is for all of them be, to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they may be one heart and mind with us. So this is the prayer for us to be one in communion. And it's interesting because he's saying that in the same way that Jesus and God are one, he wants us as believers to be one. One heart, one mind. And that's, that's very unsettling to think about because I don't really want you to know what's going on in my heart or my mind all the time. But notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say one in race. He doesn't say one in political belief. He doesn't say one in background. Jesus' prayer is that we as believers, distinct individuals with God-given differences, are one in purpose, love, and action. What we have most in common is that we are one in communion, that we have a Heavenly Father and we are adopted into His family. That there may be things that we as a people disagree with, but the primary thing that God has invited us into that we rally around is that we are sons and daughters of God. That we are invited into a redemptive story full of love, mercy, hope, and peace. We are invited into that story and then called to share that with the world. That is what holds us together. That's what ties us together. That is the communion that we find with each other. We move on to verse 23. He then goes on and prays, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus prays for us then to be one in glory. And so when I don't understand the NIV, I turn to the NLT. When I don't understand the NLT, I turn to the message. When I don't understand the message, I just turn to what smarter people have said about it. I turn to commentary. 
And so commentators say this use of glory is translated in the Greek as the word doxa. And doxa is something that has inherent intrinsic worth. And when Jesus speaks of God's glory, using doxa, it means God has infinite intrinsic worth. And if Jesus has given us this glory, it means that we also have infinite intrinsic work. We often miss the mark here because a lot of times we don't view others as having worth. I know I miss the mark if I meet someone who may look different, believe something different, act different. It's easy for me to write them off and not believe that they deserve my time, energy, or compassion. But the prayer of Jesus is that we would share in his glory and see others as people who have intrinsic value, who have intrinsic worth, who are loved by a heavenly father, loved so much that he sent his one and only son to die for that specific person and that we would love and serve them accordingly. Because the beauty is that what Jesus did on the cross, God no longer sees our imperfections. He sees Jesus' righteousness. When he looks at us, he doesn't see our past sin, our shame, our brokenness. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And he is inviting us into seeing that in others as well. Verse 24. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Third and final point for this passage is Jesus prays for us to be one in mission. Jesus is praying that we would be so fixated on one mission in life, one goal, one desire, that anything else would just fade away, that we would be running after this one thing so fast that anything else in our peripheral wouldn't catch our attention. It's like, um, you guys have those movies where if they're on the TV, you'll just watch them at any time. You'll drop everything you're doing and just watch them. For me, that's Remember the Titans. Good, good movie. And so the idea is that, you know, you've got this black school, you've got this white school, they come together. So you've got this black football team, you've got this white football team that comes together. And when they, when they leave for camp, they're, they're very divided. They hate each other's guts. There's just this division between them. They want to ride one bus, the others want to ride the other bus. But what we see throughout the progression of the football camp is that they began to see a goal, a mission, come into play. They wanted to win the state football championship. And so what happened was that they set aside their differences. They set aside the things that separated them and made them different. And they worked toward a common goal. And we see when they come back, when they're riding the bus back, parents are waiting in the parking lot, We see them singing together, intermingling, just getting along, having the spirit and this community of brethren that they had never experienced before, and the parents were so confused. One guy was like, what'd they do up there, brainwash them? And it was just this difference. When there was a common goal, a common thing that they were pursuing, it allowed whatever was separating them to just fade away. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us into but it first requires us to define the mission. So Jesus says the mission is this, that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. 
And so I love this because it runs similar to our church's mission, mission, to love people where they are and to encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that your one desire? Is that your one mission? It's great to have other goals, dreams, desires in life, but is that the one ultimate thing that every single day you wake up and you are running toward? That's what breaks down division. It's a picture of what Jesus wants the church to look like. One in communion, one in glory, one in mission. All right, so you may be saying, David, that sounds great. That's a, it's a cool prayer, powerful prayer. Unity is great, but how do I live that out? How do we, as a church, as a ministry, live that out? We see our answer in Ephesians 4. This was a letter from Paul to the church of Ephesus, and I found that Ephesus actually has a lot to say about unity because that was a church that really struggled with unity early on. There were things that divided them. There were a lot of things that they disagreed over, and so they were seeking Paul's advice And so we pick up three main points, three points of application in Ephesians 4. The first starts in verse 2. It says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope, for the future. And so our first application point, the way to unity involves belonging. Now, this isn't easy. It's easy to live in isolation, right? Being humble and gentle and and patient, those aren't things I know for me that come natural. But when we look in the Bible, we notice that this sense of belonging is ingrained in each and every one of our hearts, minds, and souls. Is it a primary human need? There's enormous benefit in community and a sense of belonging, that we all go through difficulties, hardship, pain, loss, mourning, disappointment, and we need people around us to lift us up and encourage us, speak life and truth and love in those moments, and to come alongside of us and say, I struggle with that too. Let's struggle together. How are you creating an environment of belonging in your life. Got another exercise for you. Participation. Everyone take out their phones. If you've got an iPhone, you can do this. If you've got an Android or a flip phone, I can't help you, I'm sorry. <laughs> go to settings on your phone, and then I want you to go to screen time. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm heading. Um, I, won't, I won't call on anyone to, to shout out their screen times. I'm not going to raise a hand to see who has the highest screen times. Don't worry. But I want you to go to see all activity. Click on... <laughs> Some of y'all are finding out for the first time how much you actually use your phone. So go to week. And then there will be a... Um, it'll break down the apps. All right, to tell you how much a week you're using that app. <laughs> this is enlightening for a lot of you, right? All right, so I'm going to share with you my Instagram 
Facebook, and Twitter, okay? Again, y'all don't have to share yours, don't worry. So my Instagram a week is two hours, Facebook an hour 30, and Twitter is an hour and two minutes. And so for me, I began thinking, I said, by comparison, how much time do I spend conversing with family, friends, strangers, acquaintances over meals? And so I thought, I'm going to trade my Twitter timeline for a table. So I'm going to take the time per week that I spend on Twitter and instead spend that in community with someone else over a meal. And so I want to challenge you too. I want you to take one of those pieces of social media that you're spending, take the time that you take a week, and challenge you to take some of that time and spend it along someone else in community. How are you cultivating a spirit of community and belonging? Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So our second point, the way to unity involves serving. See, God has given each and every one of us gifts. What are your gifts? What are your roles to play advancing the kingdom? Listen, we've established that our society is messed up, the world is messed up, and far too often we look towards people and programs and governments and institutions to try and solve those problems. And sometimes they do, but oftentimes we are just left disappointed and hopeless. But God doesn't call those things to be the solution. Jesus is the answer. And if we are called to be the embodiment of Jesus, then we, as believers, are the answer. So how are you being the answer in your community? How am I being the answer in my community? How am I loving and serving others? See, we are the temple of the living God. God said, I will live in you and walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. May the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, let us rise up and be a symbol of love and peace and hope and give a message of salvation to a weary and war-torn world. And so if the Lord hasn't always already placed a desire or a burden on your heart, pray that he would stir your affections and desires towards an area in which you can properly steward your time, energy, and money. You know, whether that be serving in Kid City here or going overseas on mission, God is wanting to use you to advance his kingdom, not because he needs you, but, we, but because we are called to something greater than ourselves. Jump down to verse 15. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts 
grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. The way to unity involves connection. So in order to do the first two things, in order to belong and to serve, we must have that connection with God. He is holding it all together. He is leading us. He is guiding us. He is directing us. And we, as a church, need to be unified and listening to his voice where he's leading us. And the beauty is that before Jesus, we couldn't be connected to God, but Jesus made a way. See, we were separated from God because of our shin, because of our brokenness. And because of God's love for us, he sent Jesus to bridge the gap. There was a divide. We weren't able to have a relationship with a perfect heavenly father. But in his love, Jesus died so that he could make a way to our heavenly father. He took the punishment we deserved. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. And that when he died on that cross and rose again, he changed everything. And that's why we call Jesus the way. It's because we were lost. We were hopeless before Jesus. Yet he made that way to our Heavenly Father. He made it possible. And that's the importance of spending time and building a relationship, a personal relationship with him because Jesus is the pathway to our Heavenly Father. I think so often, like even, even in church here, like when I'm singing like Waymaker, um, I can see, I can, I can think that I'm singing about a way to a better future or, or a way to a particular thing. But what we're singing about, what we're worshiping about, what we're celebrating is that Jesus made a way to us. And that as we move forward in life, he so often doesn't want clarity for us or doesn't want to give us a roadmap to life as much as he wants a relationship. He wants a connection with us. Because it's within that connection, it's, when, it's within that connection with Him that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit and things change. We're able to move towards unity. That's where it all starts. We cannot move towards unity without Jesus. So I'm going to invite Tommy to come back up and so we close, but I want us to, I want us to just dream for a second. What would this look like if we were a church that pursued Jesus' way to unity. I think the narrative would shift from sometimes people saying those Christians are silly to, those Christ- to people saying, look at how those Christians love and serve. And that when there's a hot button issue, they just don't sit behind the keyboard and fire off responses on social media but they get into the mix. They take action. That they're unified in love and peace and purpose. And they're moving towards a mission, a mission of loving people 
of serving them, of pointing them to the love, mercy, and hope of our Savior. I think it's interesting that like, Jesus didn't change the world through politics. He changed it through sacrificial love. A key word on sacrifice there, like moving towards unity is not easy. It requires something of us. It requires sacrifice. And there may be conflict in your life right now. There may be division that is causing a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of brokenness. And it's okay to feel those things. God cares about how you feel. He cares about your emotions. He cares about the hurt that other people have inflicted on you. Those are real things. And maybe for you, the thing that you need right now in life isn't as much to move towards reconciliation and forgiveness. That might come. But you need to move towards a connection with the Father to spend time with him, to listen to his voice, to learn from him, to walk from him. He, Jesus works on his own time frame. He may move you towards unity in that relationship tomorrow. He may move, move you towards unity in that relationship 15, 30 years from now. We don't know. But what we do know is that whatever we walk in, whether it be a desert, pain, struggle, Jesus is there with us because he's made a way. And it doesn't stop there. He empowers us with the Holy Spirit so that we can move towards that common mission, towards that unity with others. Let us be a people who share with the watching world who Jesus is through the way that we act, through the way that we talk. That's what the world needs. Let us be a known for a people who know what we are for rather than what we are against. Let us be a people who love, who encourage, and build up rather than a people who fight, quarrel, and tear down. That is the way to unity. That is the invitation tonight. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that when there was no way, you made a way that when we are far from God, that when we are separated, divided from God, that you died on the cross, a death we all deserved. Covered our sin, our shame, our brokenness, and you pursued unity with us. And as a result, let us appreciate and acknowledge that and let that manifest into love, service, and a pursuit of unity towards others. Because that's what this world needs. We need hope. We need love. We need grace. 
Let us be a people. Let us be a church. Let us be a ministry that loves others. Especially in a way that the world hasn't experienced, God. Give us the boldness and courage to know how to apply this to our lives, God. We love you, praise you, in Jesus' name, amen.